Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Yeah, no more laughing, Gavin, about Donald Trump. You guys have elected Boris Johnson twice. Ass. The following podcast contains... Hey, 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 watch the language, okay? Your language is offensive. Hey, 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 watch your language. Watch your language in front of the lady, punk! Your language, okay? Oh, what language? It's yeah. a hat. Watch the language, little boy. You just watch your language, mister. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you celebrate a holiday that got going with the slaughter of children, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Friday, December 13th, 2019, Dave Saves Christmas edition of the show, where we talk about the dark side of Christmas. Stay tuned. The... What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by the Toy of the Year. Each year, the Toy of the Year drums up a media frenzy for the must-have toy of the season to artificially inflate the profits of the manufacturers and teach children that wanting isn't getting. You might remember such Toys of the Years as the 1977 Star Wars action figure sets, Cabbage Patch Kids, Rare Beanie Babies, and Tickle Me Elbow, along with so many, many more. Every few years, the Toy of the Year dreams up and another toy and concocts an artificial shortage for some cheap crap and convinces kids and parents that they must have it under the tree. Why? Because fuck you, that's why. This year, the Toy of the Year is proud to announce that our Toy of the Year is the Baby Yoda, which won't come out until March 2020. Enjoy your disappointment. Toy of the Year, teaching children parents suck for the last 50 years. Santa doesn't drink champagne. Santa drinks milk. Look, Santa can't drink any more milk tonight. Santa has a lactose intolerance. It gives him horrible gas pains. You want to see Santa farting down everyone's chimney? (laughs) Merry Christmas. Now get the hell home, George, before we call your wife. Honestly, George, what an example. Santa was mean to me. I'm serious, George. Yeah? Well, maybe Santa won't come back next year. Maybe him and the Easter Bunny will take a fucking cruise to Jamaica and you can eat your own lousy cookie. Oh, oh who the hell knows, huh? Hey, you had a gun, didn't you? Yes, you did. You did. You had a gun. I saw it. Hey, you're the guy. You're the guy, aren't you? Okay, pal. What, you pulling a gun on me? I'm not afraid of you. Just calm down, all right? You think you can take me? I'm Santa Claus. Ah! Great. I just beat up Santa Claus. 
long before you millennials called it cuffing season, we Generation Xers would often find ourselves getting cuffed in late fall in order to fill the empty holes in our souls through the winter months. That's how I came to be dating Roxanne over the Christmas of 1994. Rox and I were not what one would call a good couple. We had very little in common other than a penchant for heavy drinking and having drunken sloppy sex. Oh, to be young and to feel love's keen sting. Yeah, it wasn't so much love as it was mutual convenience, and Rox knew full well that I would so piss off her parents. She took one look at me, apathetic slacker that I was, ambling my way through the tail end of my time in the military, no real plans or ambitions, and nothing resembling a personal edit button, and knew that I wasn't Mr. Right, but I was so Mr. Right now. And that is how I found myself at the home of a wealthy Sacramento lawyer with close ties to then-California Governor Pete Wilson. For those of you who don't know, which I'm just going to assume is all of you, Pete Wilson was the governor of California who had handily won his re-election in 1994 by championing the elimination of affirmative action in the state of California and a law called Prop 187. That law would strip undocumented immigrants of all social services, including schools for their kids, and access to state-funded emergency medical care. Sounds familiar. Oh, God, yeah, the GOP would love to resurrect this law, which was struck down in the courts in 1999. Now, I was just coming into my liberalism, largely thanks to the angry rhetoric from supporters of Prop 187, who had spewed that shit through the 94 election. Also... I was deep in my shove my atheism in your face stage of atheism, and Rox's parents were devout Catholics. Ugh, this will not end well. Oh, it more certainly did not. Sometime between the soup course and the main course, and deep into the wine course, it ended up in a wild shouting max between Rox and her parents while her father was trying to physically drag me to the front door, threatening to call the police. The words, uh... Might have been thrown around somewhat loosely by me, but to be honest, he kind of was a fascist. Long story short, Rox and I were kicked out. We spent the night fucking like bunnies in a Sacramento hotel. But as far as Christmases go, it's not really a great one. Also, Rox and I broke up on January 18, 1995, so BT dubs. She was a fun girl, though. Now, if you've listened to the show for a while, you probably know that I'm not the biggest fan of the Christmas season. But if you've just joined us, however, you probably need to know that piece of information before I go on. Duly noted. To give you the TLDR version, ever since I left home for the first time headed Air Force Basic Training on December 18th of 1997, my holiday seasons were anything but festive. See episode 39, 191O, and most definitely episode 186 for the biggest reasons. My uh, childhood Christmases were delightful, but ever since adulthood, they've been either terrible or depressing, and quite often both. This year, if you heard last week's episode, is shaping up to be much the same. And also, as I've grown older and more educated, there is an awful lot in the entire Christmas story that was left out in a Charlie Brown Christmas. And I'm not talking about just the highly dubious story of the, of the virgin birth. And you better be the only son of God. You understand what I'm saying, honey? That's all been covered. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the massacre of the innocents. Oh, that. Yeah, that. 
I wonder why that got left out by Linus when he was up there on the stage. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born, born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this was what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Dude, what the fuck? I know! It sort of harshes the buzz of Christmas morning, what with all the presents and shit. And you know that two days after the nativity, all the boys under two anywhere around Bethlehem were slaughtered. It's no wonder that kind of gets left out of the children's nativity play, right? Fortunately for everyone, I guess, the whole fucking thing is, you know... Total horse shit? Yeah, never happened. Matthew made that shit up completely, probably to tie Jesus back to Moses when Pharaoh killed the boy children, which chances are never fucking happened either. Josephus, the only secular chronicle of the time, doesn't mention it. The Romans don't mention it. There's no folk history of it happening. No sudden uptick in dead baby boys buried around the time. And it's only mentioned outside of Matthew hundreds of years later. And then only by sources that are, uh... Marginal qualities from dubious sources. But you know what? I'm never one to let a really good idea for ruining people's Christmas die. I've decided I would go out and find some real horrors. 
tragedies and massacres to fill your pod stockings with. Shouldn't have. You really, really shouldn't. Nonsense. It was the least I could do because, after all, misery loves company. And boy, are we about to get miserable. Now, I love a good old-fashioned Christmas as much as the next American, and I want to begin with the most old-fashioned tale I could find. Small towns, close friends, and the legend of a special Christmas figure deeply embedded in the hearts of people who, who fought back against the war on Christmas every year. The sort of Christmas legend that makes the heart of a Fox News talking head grow three sizes every time he hears the story. It's the origin of Clanta Claus. In the sleepy town of Pulaski, Tennessee, December 24th, 1865, it was about to be a very white Christmas. That's because six Confederate veterans had gathered around the Christmas tree and opened the presents they'd given to one another. Dress robes. Dress robes? For what? Oh, they would soon find out because these six fellas, including one Nathan Bedford Forrest, had given unto the world in the town of Pulaski the Ku Klux Klan. Merry fucking Christmas. Nathan would don his white robes, get on his horse, and shout, Go, go, go! And they would ride off into the night to commit acts of terrorism. It was the first ride of Santa Claus. Soon the legend said these evil old elves would ride around in the sleigh drawn by eight tiny Jim Crows bringing rape, murder, and terror to all the black people of the land. White-robed carolers would often gather outside black families' doors and sing traditional songs of hate and fear. True story, the burning cross was inspired by a Christmas tree that caught on fire by a misplaced candle, and the sight was so moving that Clanta Claus would replicate it all year round on the lawns of innocent black families to let them know that soon Clanta would slip down their chimney and kill them all unless they left town. Oh, Christmas memories. These days, like so many other old-time traditions, few people really understand the meaning of a good old-fashioned Ku Klux Christmas, except, of course, the police, who quietly deliver beatings and murders to unarmed black folks all around the country in memory of St. Nate and Santa Claus that night in 1865. How are you guys holding up? You in the Christmas spirit yet? Jesus Christ, Dave! Another big part of Christmas is gathering together with co-workers to celebrate the season's successes and let them know how much you appreciate them. A lot of people kind of hate the office Christmas party, but you know, you gotta go, you gotta be seen and kiss just enough ass to seem like a team player. And if you think your office Christmas party was a disaster last year when Vaughn and Legal got hammered and took a shit in the coat closet... Who is going to clean all this up? Oh, that would be the lowest paid worker at the restaurant. You ain't seen nothing compared to the Italian Hall disaster in Calumet, Michigan in 1913. That Christmas, the workers of the C&H Mine Company, the largest owners of copper mines in the northwest Michigan, were on strike and had been since July of that year. On Christmas Eve of 1913, the striking miners and their families gathered on the second floor of the Italian Hall of Calumet to celebrate Christmas sponsored by the Union's Ladies Auxiliary. The party was mainly a benefit for the children and tended to give them a little taste of Christmas joy during a lean season because of the strike. There are no exact numbers as to how many people were in the hall that night, but estimates put the number at around 400, with the majority of them being children. The second floor of the Italian Hall was accessible only by a 
narrow stairway with an inward opening door at the bottom and had only a single fire escape accessed by climbing out a narrow window. I think you can see where this is going because someone at the bottom of the stairs opened up the door to the second floor and shouted out, Oh my God, we're having a fire sale. Oh, the burning! school children! Oh, mate! This isn't a fever Sing great! Can't even see where the knob is! Really, Gavin? That's the drop you decided we we're gonna go with? You don't think it may be in slightly bad taste, considering the context? I've never been more proud of you. Actually, there wasn't a fire, but that didn't stop the panic from breaking out instantly as 400 people tried to flee down the narrow stairway. The results were neither holly nor jolly when the panic subsided. 73 people were dead, 59 of them were children. It was widely believed the person shouting fire was either hired by or allied with the mine management, which had used heavy-handed tactics all through the strike, keeping with the leitmotif of capitalist of the time. The local investigation, well, let me just quote from the Wikipedia entry on the topic, quote, in the coroner's inquest, witnesses who did not speak English were forced to answer questions in English, and most witnesses were not asked follow-up questions. It appears that many persons were called to testify had not seen what happened. After three days, the coroner issued a ruling that did not give a cause of death, unquote. Early in 1914, a subcommittee in the U.S. House of Representatives came to the Cooper County to investigate the strike and took sworn testimony from witnesses for a full day on March 7th. Twenty witnesses testified under oath and were offered interpreters. Eight witnesses swore that the man who first raised the choir, the, fi- the cry of fire, was wearing a Citizens Alliance button on its coat. Unquote. The Citizens Alliance was an anti-union group supporting mine management. To this day, no one knows exactly what happened. If it was just a genuine mistake or a deliberate act by the mine owners, but uh, if you ask me. I'm just going to go with what Rudy Guthrie said, who wrote, quote, The scabs outside still laughed at their spree, and the children that died were 73. The piano played a so slow funeral tune, and the town was lit up by a cold Christmas moon. The parents, they cried, and the miners, they moaned, See what your greed for money has done, unquote. I don't know how much more this I can take. I hear some of you saying, Dave, but isn't Christmas really about family? No one said anything about that. This is the time of year that it's all about being with the people you love most, your family. While Thanksgiving is the holiday most associated with difficult conversations and disagreements, Christmas is also hard on families as the forced cheerfulness and cloying sentiment insist that we not point out to each other how every time they laugh, it's like dragging corpse nails over a chalkboard. And that if we have to hear those fucking kids sing Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer one more fucking time, we're going to fucking snap. And how you went to bed at 3 a.m. after assembling Barbie's Ikea dream house and just got woke up two hours later by a house full of shrieking voices demanding that you get up because they're terrified of fucking Santa Claus. Is it Santa? No! 
But you know, no matter how infuriating you might think your family is, nothing compares to how pissed Charles Lawson was at his family in 1929. Are you you really doing this? Oh, indeed I am. Shortly before Christmas, Charlie Lawson took his family, Fanny, his wife, and their seven children, Marie, age 17, Arthur, age 16, Carrie, age 12, Maybell, age 7, James, age 4, Raymond, age 2, and Mary Lou, age 4 months, into town for a family photo shoot. Aw, that is so sweet. On Christmas Day, Fanny cooked the family meal and Charlie sent Arthur into town for shotgun shells for their traditional father-son Christmas Day rabbit hunt. Maybe that's a southern thing, but no, sir. No, no, sir. And once Arthur was gone, Charlie set to work. Quoting from Murderpedia now, quote, He began the slaughter with his daughters, Carrie and Maybell, who were sitting out to their uncle's and aunt's house. Lawson waited for them by the tobacco barn. When they were in range, he shot them with a shotgun, then ensured they were dead by bludgeoning them. He placed their bodies in the tobacco barn. Afterwards, he returned to the house and shot Fanny, who was on the porch. As soon as the gun was fired, Marie, who was inside, screamed while the two small boys, James and Raymond, attempted to find a hiding place. Lawson shot Marie, then found and shot the boys. And then lastly, he killed baby Mary Lou. It's thought that she was bludgeoned to death. After the murders, he went to the nearby woods and a few hours later shot himself. The only survivor was his eldest son, Arthur, whom he had sent on an errand just before starting his deadly work. The bodies of the family members were found with their arms crossed and rocks underneath their heads. The gunshot signaling Charlie Lawson's own suicide was heard by many people who learned of the gruesome event on the property and had already gathered there. A police officer who was with Arthur Lawson ran down and found Charlie dead and letters to his parents. As footprints encircled the tree, it was supposed that he had been pacing around the tree prior to taking his life. There was much speculation as to why Charlie Lawson did what he did. Some spoke of a head injury, but others whispered of a darker rumor that maybe young Marie, the 17-year-old daughter, was pregnant. And the father of the baby was none other than Charlie Lawson. Jesus fucking Christ, man! (laughs) I know, but that's just a rumor. Now... As for me, I don't know what made Charlie Lawson snap, but if I had to speculate, I'm just going to go with Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. And of course, I could not do a Christmas episode without talking about little John Benet Ramsey. No, 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 we are not interested. Oh, come on. This was the one I was building up to. This was the pinnacle of the show no we are not having this conversation but i got this theory about burke dave dave no all right if that's the way you feel about it then we won't talk about john benet but burke totally killed that little girl and patsy and john covered it up god damn it dave dave how the fuck you expect me to get out of this shit Since you don't want to hear about my theories, let me wrap up the reason for the season with the gift for humanity from a loving God, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you believe in the Bible, what a load of crap, 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish and have everlasting life. But uh, there was nothing whatsoever in the book about, you know, having a good long life here on earth, which is probably why the Lord God decided he was going to smote the shit out of a lot of people come 2004. Now, I guess technically the good Lord waited until the day after Christmas to do his smoting, but it was still Christmas in a lot of the world. I don't really understand how time works. Still, at 12.50 a.m. Universal, Universal Time, what we used to call Greenwich Mean Time before we got work, December 26, 2004, a massive 9.3 magnitude earthquake struck 100 miles off the coast of Sumatra in the Indian Ocean. The ground shook for nine minutes, and it was so long and so strong, the entire fucking planet vibrated by nearly half an inch. Is that a lot? That's a lot. Oh, it was a lot. It was the third largest earthquake ever recorded. The earthquake was bad, but the tsunami generated is the worst natural disaster. Oh, shit. The worst disaster period in human history. Because the epicenter's location, the tidal wave generated from the quake traveled in two directions. Into the deep water of the Indian Ocean towards the coast of Africa, where the wave was more like a ripple and killed like one person. And the other direction was toward India to the west and Indonesia to the east. And what happened next was the total opposite of a Christmas miracle. Myanmar, Thailand, Sumatra, and Indonesia were struck by the waves as soon as 20 minutes after the initial quake. People were lounging on beaches, enjoying the weather, and then they couldn't help but notice that the ocean in front of them just seemed to disappear. Well, that's odd. Which is a thing that happens during tsunamis because all the water gets sucked up out to the ocean, but don't worry, it'll soon be back. And friends, it was in the form of a 60-foot-tall tidal wave. As you can imagine, it knocked over a few Christmas trees before it spent its energy. The total death toll from this global Christmas gift was a confirmed 184,000 dead, another 160,000 presumed dead, 125,000 injured, 43,000 missing, and 1.7 million people lost their home. The only bright spot in all of this was the economic impact of the event was relatively minor because, and I swear I am not making this up, most of the people affected by this were already so desperately poor they didn't have much to lose in the first place. Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. That is it for our show this week. Now, a lot of you are probably sitting there pissed at me right now. I mean, who the fuck am I to come along and just ruin Christmas for you like this? What a dick. But you would be wrong. I mean, yeah, you're right, but not for the reasons you think you are. You see, I'm not a huge fan of Christmas, but I also understand that it can be frustrating and maybe you're dreading all the expectations and demand on your time. Maybe you're struggling with the Ikea Barbie Dream Cottage or agonizing on why Disney released The Mandalorian without having Baby Yoda toys ready for a Christmas release. Oh, my sweet summer children, let me tell you about Sun Christmas of 1977 
We got a promissory note for our Star Wars action figures under a Christmas tree. It's a life day tradition. Maybe you are up to your ass at alligators trying to drag your family through a crowded airport, hoping to make a flight to your parents when all you really wanted for Christmas of the year was just to spend it at home. Maybe, maybe you will be like me, spending it with your feuding family at your folks' house who do not drink and do not, you have to deal with being dry for days. And you think to yourself, this is the worst Christmas ever. I'm here to let you know all you have to do is remember what I've told you here today about slaughtering babies or founding the clan or murdering your family or, you know, giant collapses of a office Christmas party or, hey, the deaths of like 200,000 people and think to yourself. Things could be a lot worse. And they could. See, I haven't ruined your Christmas. In fact, in a way... If you look at it, I have kind of saved Christmas. So there you go. Merry Christmas, pod friends. That's my gift to you. Because if I wanted to ruin Christmas, I would just do this. We'll see you all next week. for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.